So we're starting a new series, Unexpected, The Journey of Faith. And it reminds us of something that we know if we've lived any amount of time that you never know, right, what a day holds. You just don't. Whether it's that call in the middle of the night that you dread or whether it's an opportunity that comes your way, you go, I had no idea I'd get in, I'd get that job, I'd, I'd be able to marry this person. Unexpected highs, unexpected lows, right? Even the journey of faith, walking with a good God, brings all kinds of tests, all kinds of things that are unexpected. And the Bible says, count it all joy when your faith is tested, because God does good things through the testing of our faith. He strengthens our faith so that we can persevere in faith to the very end and grow to be more like Christ. And so as we begin this new series, I'm excited for your faith and mine to grow stronger because what we're going to learn more and more in the story of Abraham that is so much like ours, and when it's not, it keeps reminding us that we serve a good and faithful God whose unexpected grace and unexpected protection and unexpected provision and unexpected mercies and patience and goodness meets us all the time. And so we're gonna get a better understanding of our great big God who calls us to follow him in faith. And we're gonna be encouraged when we see people like Abraham and Sarah shining and go, man, I wanna be like that. And we're gonna be encouraged like today when we see Abraham do a face plant and we go, that's just like me. And to catch up with a good God who is faithful even when we are not. So I've been thinking about Abram's life. We catch up with him, he's called Abram, and then he has his name changed to Abraham, and so if you hear me say those two words, same guy, Sarai, Sarah, same woman. And as I've been thinking about Abraham's life, I've been reflecting on mine, and I've done something interesting. And if you're, you know, if you're like a teenager right now, this isn't gonna work, because you're gonna have like one decade to think through, but I've been thinking through the decades of my life. So I'm in my sixth decade, so hold on, because you're going, does that mean you're about to turn 70? No. That means I'm in my 50s. I'm 58. Okay, I'm out with it. I'm 58. Happy about that. All right, you can clap. So that means I've been in six decades. And as I was reflecting, I realized, oh, basically outside of four years of college in St. Paul, I, I've lived in three places. Evanston, Illinois for the first two decades. Wheaton, Illinois for the next two decades. And this last decade here in Madtown, loving it, Madison. So here's what I know. In every decade but the first decade, there, there have been these unique tests. So my first decade is coming to faith in Christ, being loved to Jesus by wonderful parents, not perfect, but they love Jesus, pointing me to Jesus in a great church and that Sunday school teacher who led me to the Lord where I placed my faith. But every other decade after that, like some severe tests, some unexpected hard things, and yet always some unexpected graces. So can I take you on a little travelogue in my life through the decades? Here we go. So the second decade, my teens. This is this crisis of faith, test of faith, where I had this real relationship with Jesus. He was as real as anybody in my life. I loved Christ. I wanted to follow Christ. And I get to middle school, and I'm hanging out with a bunch of kids who don't know Christ, don't love Christ, but I want to fit in. And so there's this crisis of, am I going to continue to follow Christ or am I going to follow my peers 
to find my way in this world in security and identity. And it was a long three years of personal struggle, dealing with a lot of guilt because I did a lot of stupid things to gain my peers' approval. And God in his grace called me back to himself at the end of eighth grade. And God in his grace did something else completely unexpected. At 13 years of age, I didn't hear it, I, I didn't see it, but I knew God, I was at Camp Myoka, Antioch, Illinois, on, on the shores of Loon Lake, little place. God said, Mark, I want you to be a pastor. And uh, that, that just changed the trajectory of my life. Unexpected challenges as I was sorting through who I am. It, was it gonna be in my peers or in Christ? And unexpected goodness. So here I am at the end of that second decade and God's place to call my life. I'm heading to Bethel College to study the Bible because I'm gonna be a pastor. So that gets me into my 20s, my third decade. So the, the third decade is time of preparation for ministry, Bethel College and then Trinity Seminary, where uh, I went on for more training. It was an affirmation of my calling. And most importantly, in the third decade, Lori and I got married. So a week from tomorrow, it'll be 35 years. So we're gonna celebrate. And I'll tell you more about that another day. Um, so, but here's what you don't know, is we were to be married on September 12th, 1981, but 4th of July weekend, 1981, we mutually broke off our engagement and our relationship. Oh, that was snot city hard. I mean... <laughs> We're bawling, we really loved each other, but we just, we just weren't ready. We were on the same page. And so this was this test of, of, Mark, will you trust me for your future and for future joy? Because my, uh, it was so painful. It was so painful. I, I knew Lori was the one, but here, we're, here we are ending our relationship. And for me, like, when it's over, I said, Lori, it's, it's over, man, it's, we're done. And so here, here's the shorthand. I, I don't have permission to get into all of it. Um, Lori's here this morning, and I want to be married another 35 years. <laughs> so um, the shorthand is we break up, 4th of July weekend, six weeks later, we get back together, and six weeks later, two weeks after the original date, we got married, and it was a party. Because everybody who knew us and loved us knew that we had just had this up and down relationship that ends right 10 weeks before the wedding and now a big party. And in that decade, God gives me my first job. I actually got paid to be a youth pastor. I couldn't believe it. And God blessed us with two sweet little girls, Laura and Bridget. So that gets me to my 30s, fourth generation. So I'm moving out of high school ministry into family ministry from two kids to five kids. And I get more schooling, get a doctorate of ministry. And this wild, unexpected brush with death, 1989, the summer, it was June. I was supposed to take 25 kids to France on a mission trip, and I was sick all month. Didn't know what was going on. Turns out I had a perforated appendix, and they cut three feet out of my, uh, my intestines, and the nurse came out and said to Lori, you almost had your marital status changed. And God was faithful in preserving my life. 
in that same decade. One of the sweet kindnesses of God is College Church in Wheaton where we were serving. They gave us six month sabbaticals after seven years. So in that decade, I happened to have two sabbaticals in my dad's hometown of Ball Lake, Switzerland, this little tiny village of 900 people nestled in the foothills of the Alps right along the French-Swiss border. My kids, our kids are going to school where their grandpa went to school, and it's all in French. And it was awesome. It was awesome. We had three girls at this time. And uh, we were praying about having more kids. Lori had gotten really sick in the pregnancies and up in the hospital. It was, it was really traumatic. And so we were praying about it. Find out as we're coming home from Switzerland after living in Heideville and just having this unbelievable experience that Lori's pregnant and she's really sick and she's in the hospital and five and a half months into the pregnancy, she loses our little baby boy, Gabriel. Oh, unexpected. Our friends and mentors told us, hold the things that God gives you with an open hand because it won't hurt as much if God would ever take that person away from you. And I'll never forget holding little Gabriel in my hand. His body fit literally in the palm of my hand. His, his foot was as big as my thumbnail. And there I was just this beautifully, perfectly formed little baby that was now with Jesus and my hand was open, and it hurt so much. And it rocked our marriage. Married 11 years. I'd say this was like the first major bump. We're grieving, and you know how it is? You don't, you don't always connect grieving in the same time in the same way. And man, it was hard. And we couldn't work through it. Had to talk to other people to help us get through it. And, and the test was, will, will I trust God? for my family and for my marriage, our marriage. That gets us into the fifth decade, my 40s. And uh, the same test kind of resurrects, resurfaces. I'm growing as a leader. I'm getting more opportunities to preach. I now have this desire uh, to maybe go lead a church. I don't know where. I don't know how that's going to happen. And uh, two big tests come. First is in 2012, in December, Lori finds out that she's got breast cancer and the prognosis is, her surgeon says, it's too far gone, you're not gonna make it. So we got five kids. Luke, our youngest, is five years of age. Laura, our oldest, is a 17-year-old. And there's this suffocating fear. God said, are you gonna trust me, Mark, in the face of death? Are you gonna trust me if I take Lori home? Are you gonna trust me when you're just gripped with fear? And then there's a second test that came. After 22 years of, just all I could say is it was like Camelot. It was this unbelievable time of growing as a pastor, being loved by the people. And then all I can say is just a very difficult ending to 22 years and deep personal hurt. And um, God is saying, will you trust me to heal you and bring you forward to a place of ministry. And one of the graces was the year before we came here, we had this extended sabbatical, and that's while this whole thing was going on and the hurt, and God gave us a chunk of land up in Door County and gave me a year to go build a cabin. And so guys, that's what I did. I've never worked so hard in my life, but we stacked logs and built a cabin in 100 days for my family to live in. We lived in the woods, and it was a wilderness time. It was really hard. 
So this beautiful place that I've always loved, Door County, was like a really hard place. And I didn't know where it was going to go. And then God in his good providence, unexpected grace, we meet up with some people from this place. And if you don't know the story, this place was reeling, going through something unexpectedly hard when our pastor Brad Smith, in a weekend, is taken from us. He dies, young 40s. And so this church was reeling, we were reeling, and God in his good grace brought us together. Unexpected stuff, right? And so then... This last decade, right, my sixth decade, I'm in my 50s here, steepest growth as a leader. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the call we got. It wasn't in the middle of the night. It was in the middle of the afternoon, and our married daughter was coming to visit us, and she got T-boned, and she was uh, just in the balance. We didn't know if she was going to live or die, and God in his grace pulled her through. But the biggest test in the last decade just was personal. It had to do with my own leadership. And I was questioning it. And it was questioned by the team, I, wonderful team I serve with, by leadership here. And, and it was super hard. And it was a time in my life where, I, you know, I was always this happy-go-lucky guy. And all of a sudden, I'm having panic attacks. Like I heard about them, now I'm having them. Super discouraged. Getting close to being outright depressed for the first time in my life a suicidal thought enters my mind like what in the world's going on it was so hard it was so personal it was so painful and I really wanted to just kind of pack up and go and God said will you trust me again to do something really good in the midst of something hard would you trust me to take you to a place you've never been as a leader would you trust me to take the leadership of this church to a healthier place that we haven't had in a while? Will you just trust me? And I'm telling you, in God's providence, if I had not just challenged the church, and this was the name of our vision initiatives, all in, 29.7, from Jeremiah 29.7, to seek the peace and prosperity of our city, to pray for it, and if I hadn't just challenged the church, and the church hadn't responded in amazing ways, so that we identified about $8 million that would be given in the next two years to help the ministries and these initiatives go forward, if I hadn't just said, hey, are you guys all in with me? Remember the truck? I'm telling you, I would have gone. It was just too hard. I would have gone, maybe I may have left you know, I may have gone back and built, I was thinking, man, I should just go build log cabins in Door County. <laughs> but God in his grace took that which is super hard and he brought such great good out of it. And I've just been riding, Lori and I have been riding on his goodness this week in an unusual way as you guys are so kind and expressing your kind appreciation for our time together here for 10 years. So grateful, so grateful. Why am I sharing these things? Because my stories, like your story, not, not, not like you're going to go through all the, but it's just, it, it's these ups and downs, it's these blind curves, that we, we, there's these unexpected hard things and things that surprise us and these amazing wild graces that we never imagined. And so as I share my story, it's to encourage us to remember again that we're going to experience we're going to expect some really tricky things. Successes, failures, highs, lows, 
unbelievable challenges, hardships, but amazing blessings and surprising graces, wild dreams beyond our wildest imagine that God blesses us with. And as we go through it together, my hope is that our faith grows stronger in a God whose grace is completely unexpected, his mercy faithfully attending us every day, that we grow to know our God and all that he is and wants from us, this God who calls us to follow him in trust, in faith, and a God who keeps moving towards us even when we fall flat on our face. The Apostle Paul put it this way, because we all have our own races to run. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Our prayer is that this study will help you grow in faith. Maybe for the first time, follow God in faith. To have your faith grow stronger that together we would persevere to the end when God comes or calls us home. So we're gonna get into Genesis 12, the storyline. And before we get into it, uh, I want you to check out this video from the Bible Project. Tim Mackey, our friend over at Blackhawk, who five years ago was helping us eat this book. Remember some of us when we went through the whole Bible from cover to cover? And he's done a great uh, service to us in these videos that help us get the big themes of the Bible. Here's an overview of chapters 12 through 50 in the whole book, so to speak. So check it out. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old 
and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat. And his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the, the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. All right, good. So we got the, the big picture, right, of Genesis. So grab Genesis 12 in your Bibles or get it on your phone or tablet. And let's look at the first three verses. So this is the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12 is where we pick up now uh, God's unexpected grace. For this family and this man named Abram. Verse 1 The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, unexpected. Grace begins with God's call to Abraham. So what we just saw, right? We saw this downward spiral. We've got the people that are building a tower to heaven to make their name great. They, uh, they don't want, they want to be like God. They want greatness apart from God. And he scatters the people, but in the midst of that, God's unexpected grace goes out. And he chooses this unlikely guy. Abraham is from this place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, modern-day Iraq, about 186 miles outside of present-day Baghdad. Joshua 24 tells us that Abraham worshipped idols. He's an idolater from Ur that God taps to be the part of his saving purposes, the father of the faith, if you will, this one whose promised blessings would bless all the people of the world. Abram just means exalted father, 
but he has no children. So there's definitely some irony from the get-go. And his call is very simple and it's very clear as he calls him into this relationship of faith. I want you to go. I want you to leave everything that's familiar, your country, your people, your family, your religion, your security, and I'm gonna take you to a place that I'll show you is the place. Like, like God, how about some travel brochures? Are there any pictures? Uh, is there a GPS that'll help me get none of that? No pictures, no brochures, just a command to go, to give up everything that was known for all that was promised and yet wasn't yet realized. That's his first test of faith. Would he trust God and swap what he had for what God promised? And we note that his grace continues by not just giving him a command, but sweetening it all up. I'd say, and as you go, I'm gonna bless you. And so there's a seven-fold blessing. I'm gonna make you into a great, oh, by the way, that word blessing. So it's kind of cliche for us. Like someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. What, what, what do we mean by that? What does God mean when he says to Adam and Eve, I, uh, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. What did it mean when he says, I'm gonna bless you? And he, we keep running into it, right? Bless you, bless you, bless you, blessing, blessing. What, what does that mean? It, it speaks of God's power given to us in his protection and care that has us flourish in every area of our life. His protection, care, his power that protects us, his power that cares for us, provides for us so that we flourish in every area of our lives. And he says, and this is what it's gonna look like. This promise, he unpacks it. You're, you're gonna be a great nation. Well, here's the reality. He's never gonna see that. He's gonna have to believe that. He's going to see grandkids. He's going to see some of this, but he's not going to see a great nation that outnumbers the stars in the heaven and the sands of the seashore. Chapter 15, as God continues to unpack this, he says, I'm going to bless you. Trust me, if you don't have kids, that's, that's your social security. He doesn't feel blessed right now. He feels punished right now that he and Sarah can't have children. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Oh, our ears are ringing because the people of Babel are building this tower to the heavens to show how great they are to make a name for themselves. He says, no, that's not how it works. Whenever you seek to make a name for yourself, God has opposed that. That's pride. But I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you superior character. I'm going to change you from the inside out. Character that is recognized by God, pleasing to God and pleasing to others. You'll be a blessing. You're gonna, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And then he sums it all up. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And the New Testament tells us when he received these, when he received these promises that God was preaching the good news, the gospel to him. Listen to it in Galatians 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel expression in the Old Testament. So then those who are of faith, including us, 
are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that's how he's characterized in the New Testament. This, this great paradigm of, of faith. He's this great hero of faith. And yet we're going to find out, not always, not always. But he begins well, right? Verses 4 through 9. What does he do? So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. You're here. This is what I'm talking about. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So he begins well. He's, he's like nailing it. He's walking out in faith. He's trusting God for what he didn't yet have, but God was promising him. What is faith? He's taking God at his word. He's obeying his clear command, and he's trusting his promises. And he gets to the promised land. He gets to Shechem, to this uh, place of great decision. It's going to be the very place where Joshua will say to the people, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to go into this land again, and there are going to be idols there, and I'm, I'm calling you to a decision. And so it's at that very place, under this tree, this great oak, we're told, later on in Genesis, that is a place of pagan worship. So the pagans, they would believe that these great trees, like this great oak, was this axis point between heaven and earth. And so they built shrines there, and they offered sacrifices there to their pagan deities. Mora means teacher. This tree was a place where people would go to hear an oracle from the gods, to give them wisdom, direction. These soothsayers, like these palm readers, giving you the story of your life. That's where people would go. And it's at that place where God shows up and he tells Abram, this is the place. This is the place that I'm talking about. And as he gets to this place, he realizes, wow, I was hoping that this land that you were giving me wouldn't be a land that I'd have to fight for, like there'd be nobody else there. But this land is filled with the ites. We meet up with the Canaanites that aren't on with this God who's called Abraham to follow him. And we also catch up that, that Abram's wife is still barren, and yet he worships God. He takes him at his word, though surrounded by idolaters, and he builds an altar and worships this great God. And we go, good on you, Abram. You are showing us what true faith looks like. And he's calling on God, and he's building altars, not towers, right? Wherever he is, even between the land of Bethel and Ai. Unexpected grace that God's, God would call this undeserving, unlikely guy unexpected grace that he'd be patient because here's what Acts 7 tells us Acts 7 tells us in Stephen's sermon that actually God first appeared to Abram when he lived in Ur and God told him hey I want you to leave we don't get that in Genesis 11 and 12 we get it in Acts chapter 7 and so he's slow on the uptake to follow God but God is patient unexpected grace Unexpected grace in the promises that he would take him to a better place and bless him and through him 
bless the nations. Unexpected grace that he turn a guy who's worshiping idols to a guy, to a guy who's worshiping the living God. So we say, man, it's great. Abraham, we're following your example of faith, of taking God at his word and leaving the comfortable to the unknown. And we go, A plus, buddy, A plus, awesome, awesome, awesome. And then he does what we're not expecting. He falls flat on his face, verse 10. Now there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I mean, just listen to this. Ladies, aren't you glad you're not married to Abram at this point? It's like, just put, you know, just put yourself at harm's way. Give up your purity. Be defiled so that my neck is saved. What a great, studly man. W- willing to give up his life for his wife, not. And so, what, what, so, so he's got real fear. So there's nothing bogus about his fear. There's a powerful ruler, the Pharaoh. His wife is beautiful. People like Pharaoh take beautiful women into their harem by the hundreds. It was legitimate fear. And what happened is he lost sight. He's no longer trusting God to bring about the promise. Now he's trusting in his own schemes to save his neck. He has fear, and in the face of fear, he capitulates and says, I'm not sure I can trust God. I'm going to build a better plan. My plan is, Sarah, you are my half-sister, by the way. We share the same dad, not the same mothers. And so let's just go with that storyline. And, and he's trusting in his scheming plan. And it doesn't honor God. And we're surprised at what happens. Like, right now, what's your view of God? Oh, you obey God, blessing. You don't obey God. He's going to get you. As a lot of us are thinking that right now. I know why I'm going through this. Because God is getting me for what I did. Well, catch up with the God of the Bible and be surprised right now by his unexpected grace. So we read, verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was beautiful, very beautiful, a very beautiful woman. There you go. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken in his palace, just like Abram thought would happen. He treated, that is, Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. That's like Cadillacs. I mean, this is unbelievable what's happening. We think God is going to punish Abram. And what's happening to Abram? He's being rewarded with more, with wealth. We're going, I don't know what I was thinking. We read on, verse 17. We're going, oh, I think this is it. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases. We're going, okay, now it's coming. Now it's coming. And then we read, on Pharaoh. Oh, my word, on Pharaoh, not on Abram. And on Pharaoh's household, because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Well, how did he find that out? Well, because he got his wise men together and going, what is going on here? See, their worldview had, had gods at the forefront of their world. If thing, things were going bad, it's because they displeased the God. We, we don't think like that. 
There are a lot of places still in the world where they, they're always thinking spiritually first. So he gets his wise men again. They go, what do you think's happened? They go, well, we've ticked off somebody's God. So what's going on? And somebody goes, well, you know what? I realize this all happened when you let that woman into your harem. Well, which woman are you talking about? Well, that beautiful woman that just walked in from, you know, somewhere up in the north. Well, let's go, let's go talk to her. Well, who are you, Sarai? What's your real story? Well, she tells, right? Because he says, why didn't you tell me she was your sister? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife, rather? Verse 19, why do you say she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. So now it's Pharaoh who's reproving his lack of faith, right? Not God, wild. Then Pharaoh, verse 20, gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. He didn't say, guys, get rid of these people. And I mean, get rid of these people and make sure they never breathe again and get back all that stuff. he, He didn't say that. The diseases were still in play and he didn't want to have anything to do with this man and this woman and their God unexpected grace in the face of his failure that he would send them out unscathed and prospering. First test, will you trust me to leave the known for the unknown? Would you trust me to find your identity in your family and your country and your people to find your identity in your relationship with me? A plus. Abraham, will you trust me in the face of fear and death that I'm going to keep my word and I'm going to give you family and people that outnumber the sands of the seashore? Fat F, no way. So let me ask you as we draw this to a close, what's your view of God? Does it fit with Genesis 12? Or is it something else that's forming your understanding of God? Have you received this unexpected grace from this good God? Do you you know that, that, that God through Abraham is pursuing all of us? The blessing ultimately is Christ. That's the one who brings, Christ is the descendant of Abraham. He's the one that God was talking to Adam and Eve about in Genesis 3.15 who would crush the enemy. And and Jesus brings blessing, and that blessing is ours in Christ, his care, his protection, a relationship by grace through faith, and we receive it not by being good people. Abraham reminds us that there wasn't any spiritual, he wasn't even worshiping God. He wasn't looking for God. He was chasing all these other idols. He's He's a guy who's not all that faithful, right? But God is gracious and we receive his unexpected grace through faith in his son. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this, your salvation and even the faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God that no one should boast, right? That no one should boast. It's not a result of our works. It's a gift that we receive freely. And so have you received that? Do you know that God is pursuing you That's the story of Abraham. It's not that he's just pursuing Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you so that all the families. He's pursuing you through when he he called Abraham and when he sent his son to die here for you and me that we might have a relationship with him. Have you received God's grace through faith in the promise? 
even his promised son, Jesus Christ. So then let me just finish with, so where are you at right now? What's unexpected? Is it unexpected like sweet? Well, then do you remember why it's unexpected sweet? Thank God. Every good thing we have, the Bible says, is from from the Father above. So what's unexpected? Great, sweet, unbelievable, kind. Thank God. What's unbelievable? Hard. Now is the time to trust God. Abraham was just fear. We get that, right? It's easy to be afraid. The biggest command that was repeated in the Bible is fear not. Biggest one. Fear's real. So what are you afraid of right now? I'm, I'm catching up with people this week that um, they have a spouse who wants out. And they're just afraid of not just a marriage dissolving, but a family disintegrating. Great, great fear. Some of us this last week received news the tests are back, and there's a, a new diagnosis with the prognosis. And our, and our whole life has just changed. We're afraid. Some of us are afraid that um, I'm going to be lonely the rest of my life, that my life is never going to change. I, I'm, I'm just going to be a, a, a run of bad luck for the rest of my life, that that's just what it's going to be. We're afraid of our, our future that we think we've got figured out. We're, we're afraid of a financial situation. We go, how in the world are we ever gonna get out of this? We're afraid of, how am I ever gonna get a job? I've been out so long. I'm, I'm older. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, marketable. What, whatever it is. How, how, am I, how am I gonna be accepted by these friends that I'm, just all kinds of fears. What's the test that maybe was completely unexpected a day ago, a week ago, a year ago? And will you take out at his word and believe his promises? And will you allow this hard thing to be one of the best things in your life as you let it push you towards the God who has unexpected grace for us in Christ? Full of grace and truth, Jesus. And in him, faith in him, we have all the fullness of his grace upon grace for everything that you're facing today. Let's pray. So Father God, we bless you that you are a God who is just so unlike us. We are so grateful that you are holy. We are so grateful that your your love for us is unconditional, that your grace is not calibrated to our fickle faith. We thank you, Lord, that you've been pursuing us from the very beginning. Before we were ever born, you knew that we wouldn't be moving towards you. And if it wasn't for the, the, the gift of your son, there'd be no way that we could have this hope, this life, this grace. And so I pray for whatever's hard, that you would help us, Lord, lean into you and trust you to do good through the hard and to believe your promises, to obey in faith your commands. Strengthen us to be your people who come to faith, your people who grow in faith, your people who would persevere in faith to the end. We bless you for your goodness and kindness. And we bless you that it's all ours through your wonderful son who loved us to the cross. In his name we pray, amen.